What's your treasure? And what I mean by treasure is what do you hold dear? Why do you get up in the morning? Why do, you go, why do you go to school? What's your motivation? What are the desires of your heart? What are the things that get you excited? What are the things that get you going? What are the things that motivate you? What are the things that you love? What's your treasure? And Jesus says here, uh, not to lay up for yourselves treasures on this earth. Your treasure is whatever has your affections. And I, want, I, I, I want to be very specific. I mean, that, that affections is, is very, very, that's, that's um, intentional words. Your affections. The things that you're affectionate about. The people you're affectionate about. All of these things are motivated by treasure and our treasures. And Matthew 6 talks about how our treasure, is the thing that we treasure is, is something that cuts deep. It cuts into the heart. It, it, it changes us. It changes the way we see things. It changes the way we act in this world. It changes the way that we are motivated to live in this world. It changes a lot. Um, and the treasure that Jesus is specifically talking about, he's not talking about just some, some obscure, like, I treasure sports or I treasure family. No, that's not what he's talking about here. Jesus is talking about treasure as it relates specifically to material goods on this earth. Specifically, what's the last verse say? You cannot serve both God and money. That, that passage defines the rest of this and, and helps us get a picture for what Jesus is talking about. When Jesus is talking about treasures on earth, he's talking about money. Now, why, why do I think this has uh, an important... Why, why is this important to us? Well... If we truly, 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 I want you to truly examine your heart tonight. Like faithfully take a moment and pause and ask God to reveal what it is that you really treasure. And, and, I, and I really want you to do that because what I've found, the biggest vice, the biggest vice, the thing that is going to take down the church in the United States is money. Right now, right now, um, the church, the global church, not just the, the, the American church, but the global church is the richest and wealthiest it has ever been in the history of time. Did you know that? If you take all of the dollars that genuine believers have in their bank accounts and you add it up, I mean, we don't know what that amount is, but what we do know is that the church is the wealthiest today that it's ever been in the history of time. We also know this, that more people today know the gospel than any other point in the universe. The wor world right now is the most evangelized that it's been since, since the church started, since Jesus. And, and that's amazing news. There's been amazing progress that has been made. But did you know that if every Christian in the United States alone, that's not even like close to like 20% of the believers in the entire world. That's like 15% of the believers in the entire world, and I'm just guessing at a percentage. There's a very small amount of the believers in the entire world are in the United States. But if every believer in the United States, which is the wealthiest part of the church in the world, gave just $10 a month, uh, world poverty would be ended like 10 times over. I mean, it's, it's incredible statistics when you really break it down. Hunger and poverty and the water crisis of um, third world countries, it would be ended. And there's numerous opportunities around the planet right now to share the gospel with people. 
but we've gotten distracted from our mission. Why have we gotten distracted from our mission? Because we've changed our mission. We've, we've, we've taken the mission of the church here in the United States and we've condensed it down not to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but go chase all the comforts of this world and enjoy the material goods of this life so that you can pass them on to the next generation. And I know that that's, that's, that's harsh language. I know that, but think about it. Just, just think about it. Think about how much emphasis we put on material goods in our way of life. And just to, just to show you that this message is for me too, I have two pairs of Air Jordans in my home that I'm so scared to take out of the shoe. They stay in the shoebox. Like that's, convi- that's a pair of shoes. But I want to take care of them so much, I care about them so much that I keep them in the shoebox and I clean them after every time I use them. Now, what does that show you about my heart and where my affections are? My affections. Again, I think this is a truth that, that is going to sit on our hearts tonight. And I, I truly believe if, if we would just take a moment and pause we, we, we can, and see what God's word has to say about this, see what Jesus has to say about this, we will recognize that this has a lot to do with us in our lives. This is very applicable in our lives today. This is very relevant to the way that we live. And this is very helpful to help us see what it looks like to truly live in a way of life that is devoted to Jesus fully. So the first section, I just kind of want to break this up into sections. So do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where um, thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Here's what I think God is calling us to tonight. I hope that God reminds us tonight that he desires, he, he desires and he demands our affections. God demands our affections. He, he created us to be in relationship with him. God does not just want our affections, he requires it, all of them. Not half of us, not a quarter of us, not three-fourths of us, not almost all of us, all of us. All of our affections, God desires those and demands them. And because God desires all of our affections and demands all of our affections, we must treasure Jesus. We must treasure the gospel. We must treasure Christ with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength. But in today's world, we have set aside the gospel and we have lifted up the gospel of materialism and the gospel of get as rich as you can, the gospel of get as comfortable as you can, the gospel of um, gain as much material things as possible so that you can avoid danger, risk, and any discomfort or suffering that this life would bring. Think about it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you how we do this. Think about all of the money. Now, I, I know you guys don't, well, raise your hand if you, you drive in here. Raise your hand if you're driving here. Do you know how much your car insurance costs? How much does your car insurance cost? Expensive? Okay. Do you know? Do you guys know how much your car insurance costs? Okay. Before I got married, this is gonna this is gonna make you laugh because you know car insurance numbers, I'm sure. And you. Anybody in here who's driven and knows and is pretty acquainted. Well, before I was married, my car insurance for just me and my car was two hundred and thirty two dollars a month. $232 a month. Now, why do we pay car insurance? Why do I pay every single month for car insurance? Why? In case something happens to my car, I get out of the risk of losing a vehicle and I get money in return, right? I'm avoiding risk. What about homeowner's insurance? 
They got insurance for everything nowadays. These are, these are necessary things to have insured, right? Because you get in a car accident with somebody. Your car insurance is not just to pay for your car. It's also to pay for somebody else's if the accident's your fault, right? Or if I get in a car wreck and I damage, like, the guardrail on the side of 74, then my car insurance would go to help pay for that guardrail or any property that was damaged as well. And if Spanky was in my passenger seat and his leg was chopped off, okay, my car insurance would go not just to pay for the damages of my car or the damages of somebody else's vehicle or the damages of the property. It would help Spanky get a fake leg, right, a prosthetic. So car insurance helps us avoid a lot of risks. It's a very useful tool. I believe that God uses insurance well. But I also believe this, that sometimes we put our faith in insurance to protect us and give us security. We find our security in, in things that we can do to prepare for future risks rather than truly finding our security wrapped in the gospel. And there is a very big difference. Now, what I'm not saying is this. You need to have so much security in the gospel that you don't get insurance. That's not what I'm saying. That's not wise. But there's a very fine line between wisdom and gluttony when it comes to money. And I think Jesus is painting for us a very clear picture of that because what does he say? You cannot serve both God and money. See, the, the, the issue here is, is that we are tempted to think that we can do both. That we can dabble in chasing the material well-being of, 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 of plenty and chasing the riches of this world while also simultaneously ch- storing up for ourselves riches in heaven. And we'll get to what that means in a minute. But we think we can do both and we can't. The, the word of God is clear here. We can't. Like, we can't. He doesn't say, in this situation you might be able to, or you might be able to swing it this way. He says, we, we can't. Now, why does Jesus tell us we can't? Because there's no room in the affections of our heart when we're following Jesus to reserve it for other things besides him. Christ demands all of the affections of our heart. All of them. All of them. And that informs the way that we handle our money. That informs the way that we handle our finances. It doesn't mean that we just need to go, like, move out of our house, sell our house, and, and live on the street. That's not what Jesus is saying here. I don't want you to hear that. What I want you to hear is this. Does money have your heart? Do you want a good job so you can have money and be comfortable? Or do you want to have a good job so that you can give back and invest in the kingdom of heaven? Do you want to be a doctor so that you can have a, a, a comfortable lifestyle or do you want to be a doctor so that you can help other believers who are in medical crisis or share the gospel with hurting people who are in medical crisis? Do you want to play sports for a living? I wanted to be a baseball player when I grew up and then I wanted to be a football player and then I wanted to be a soccer player and then I wanted to be a basketball player and found out I was too short and so I resorted to being a skateboarder then I realized that got me into a lot of trouble, and so I wanted to be a professional drug dealer. So like, and all of these things, right? All of these things that I wanted to do, okay? Every single one of them were, were bent toward a heart that wanted financial gain and comfortability with my life. All of them. This is a vice that, our, uh, that, that kills our hearts. Think about it. There are people who spend thousands of dollars on a pair of jeans, a pair of jeans. But before we look, at, look down on that person, think of the joy that we have on Christmas morning when we're opening presents. And how that joy is this incomparable joy compared to the rest of the year. Like there is a, 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 a sweet joy that we get out of getting fed material goods. 
There is something that we get out of storing up material goods for ourselves and gaining property and gaining valuables and gaining things that look good and wearing things that look good on us and making ourselves look good to others using the materials that we have. These things have our heart, but Jesus desires all of our affections. And in this passage, because Jesus demands our affections, he's calling us and saying that we must store up for ourselves heavenly treasures. Now, what are heavenly treasures? Very simply, heavenly treasures are this. What you can keep with you when you die. Now, a lot of us hear the phrase, like, you can't take anything with you when you die, right? Have you guys ever heard the phrase, you never see a U-Haul behind a, uh, what's that car, a hearse? You never see anybody take any of their material things with you when you die. Did you know that you can actually take something with you when you die? Like your personal holiness, you can take that with you when you die. You can take uh, the people that you've invested in with you when you die, hopefully. The people that you've shared the gospel with and they've accepted Christ, you can take that with you when you die. The people you've invested in a disciple-making relationship with, you can take those people with you when you die. There's a lot of things that you can take with you when you die. And when we have an eternal perspective of what this life has to offer, then we're reminded why our treasure must be stored in heaven. Because when we think of the treasure that we have and the reward that we have, right? The first two weeks that we were here, we talked about nothing but the rewards of following Jesus. And if we truly have those rewards in perspective, they are incomparably glorious. You can't compare a pair of shoes with them. You can't compare the biggest, most awesome house with them. You can't compare the most sweet investment portfolio because, you know, all of us adults, we've got to have sweet investment portfolios where we've invested in stocks and have retirement and all of these things, right? And, and, and none of these things in regards to eternity, as it relates to eternity, none of these things matter. My retirement doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. In, in, in regards to eternity, my retirement doesn't matter because if we look at the Bible, if we look at Scripture, our work is never done while we're alive. We don't retire from sharing the gospel. We don't retire from ministry in the gospel. It doesn't happen. Again, where is your treasure? Where is your treasure? Why do you guys show up to school every day? Why do you want good grades? Why do you want to get into the college that you go into? And if you're not going to college, why do you want to go into the career field that you're going into? Why do you want to go into the military? Why do you want to go into um, a trade school where you just learn how to do a sweet job? If you want to go into ministry, if, 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 if God is uh, pulling your heart toward full-time ministry, why do you want to do that? Because people even try to go into ministry to get rich. Because we know the guys who get ministry and write books, they're the ones who make it. Again, where's your treasure? And Jesus is calling us here to store up heavenly treasure. And uh, he's calling us to do it in the context of a culture eradicated with materialism. For those of you who don't know what materialism is, uh, simply defined materialism is the belief that material, physical goods are more important than spiritual pursuits. Material goods are more important than your spiritual pursuits. And living in a, in a culture that is defined by what you wear, what you watch, what you consume, what you eat, what you see, what you look like, how you talk, all of these things are wrapped up in materialism and appearance. And these things, these temptations, as you graduate and as you get out of high school and as you get older, they will only get bigger. The pull 
to materialism is real. Uh, I caught myself freaking out because I found out that um, I am uninsurable in regards to life insurance. I can't qualify for life insurance for two more years. There's no life insurance provider in the country that will touch me for two more years because of the drugs that I've put in my body. I'm too much of a risk as it relates to them. They think, well, because of all these things that you've put in your body, you're, you're at a greater risk to die, which means we're at a greater risk to pay you, so we won't provide it for you. And I, I caught myself, like, freaking out, right? Like, well, what if I die? What if, what, if, what if this happens? Or what if that happens? Or what if I die? How, how will my wife bury me? And how will she take care of Leon? And how will all these things? These are not things that I need to be worried about because God has these things taken care of. And if I have an eternity in perspective, I can rest in the gospel. Now, I can, I can look and I can plan ahead and I can see these things with wisdom, right? And I can act and I can try to do something about it. But I need to rest in the gospel. How am I going to pay for college? How am I going to do all these things? I mean, think about it. When, when you start thinking about money, how am I going to buy a car? How am I going to get a nice car? I don't want to just drive a beater car to school. I don't want to drive a car that makes funny noises and creaks when the door opens and has a window that I have to pull up. Why? Why do you want that? Why does it matter? Why, does it, why isn't it good enough to have just four wheels that move? Because if we have a car and a house, one car, one house, we're in the top seven richest people in the world, top 7% of the richest people in the world. Why do we need a nice car? Notice how I said need it, because we act as if we do. We act as if we need these things. And not only are we called to store up for ourselves heavenly treasure in uh, uh, the context of a world eradicated with materialism, but we are also called we're also called to seek heavenly treasure in the battle of our desires. This is something that starts deep within us. Not only are we supposed to live it out in the outward man to seek heavenly treasure and to store up for ourselves heavenly treasure, but we're to do it in the inward man. This is an inward battle raging in your heart. Look at verse 21. It says, for where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Jesus is saying, if your treasure is on this earth, your heart is on this earth, and your heart is not with me. Where is your treasure? In the cosmic battle for your soul, raging on between light and darkness right now, is the darkness winning? Is it, are, you, are you sucked into to loving the things of this world? Or do you realize that we, we, we have eternity in mind, and when we look back and when we see that, the, the eternal riches of glory awaiting for us are in heaven are far greater than anything that this world has to offer? And is that fueling your desires, what you want, what you enjoy, what you love? Is storing up for yourselves treasures in heaven what informs the way that you see this life and the way that you live? Is that, is that what does it? Do you ask yourself when you get up in the morning, how am I going to store for myself treasures in heaven? Or a question like that, how am I going to serve Christ today? How am I going to love God and love people today? Um, if you're anything like me, you probably, it's not probably the first thing on your mind. It's not. Like, let's, honestly, let's examine ourselves. For real, let's look at our hearts. Where is our heart? What are we concerned about? What are we worried about? Next week, we're gonna talk about anxiety. This passage is setting up Jesus' teaching on anxiety. Why do we worry about things? All the time. All the time. 
what if this or what if that? The whole fact that we can come up with a question that starts with what if is rooted and grounded in deep anxiety and uncomfortability and a desire to control this world. And that desire, that anxiety is rooted in our treasure being on this earth rather than in heaven. We're so wrapped up and worried about things. We're so wrapped up and worried about material stuff. And God demands our affections. And so we, we must examine ourselves. And so, so what do we examine ourselves with, right? If we must examine ourselves, what must we examine ourselves with? The Word. Now, how do we know that? How do we know that we must examine ourselves with the Word? How is that even possible? Well, here we go. The next passage, the eye is the lamp of the body. Flip my page there. Must have got too excited. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Jesus himself is saying this. Who is Jesus? We're going to have a little Bible study here for a minute. Who is who's Jesus? Son of God. Jesus is the very Son of God, which means, here's something that's very interesting. The Son actually brings not just this idea of offspring, right? Like, Leon is my son, he's my offspring. But it also is the perfect representation of something else. And so Jesus, being the Son of God, is not just God's Son, in the sense that we think about it, but Jesus is the perfect reflection and image of God embodied in human flesh. Jesus is, in fact, God himself. Colossians 1 says that Jesus is the perfect image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Jesus Christ himself is God in human flesh. And guess what? He's saying this. Which means now you're cold. You were hot, now you're cold. Um, huh? Yeah. Um, I see you chattering over there. You all right? Huh? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so Jesus himself is saying this. So what does that mean? Well, when we examine ourselves, what do we examine ourselves against? Does anybody know what it means to examine yourself? Like to look at yourself, to examine yourself. Do you know what I'm saying when I say that? What am I saying? Yes but you're investigating your heart to see if it's genuine, right? You're investigating something. Well, how do you know if it's genuine? You have to have some sort of standard to measure yourself against, right? If we're going to examine ourselves, we, we have to have a standard to look against, a mirror to reflect on, something that says, this is how you're supposed to be. Examine yourself. See if you're this way. That mirror for us is God's word. That mirror for us is the scriptures. Jesus is calling out a sin in our hearts to be more devoted to materials than we are to God. And Jesus is calling us to examine ourselves. So why do we examine ourselves? This, we, we know how. We look at the, we look at the Bible. We, we apply it to our lives. But why do we examine ourselves? We examine ourselves because of the mission that God has given us. The fact that we need to examine ourselves is directly related to God's mission. Why? Because if we're healthy, like what Jesus is talking about here, it says if the eye is healthy. If the eye is healthy, what can the eye do? If my eyes are healthy, what can they do? They can see things. But not just see something, I can focus on something, right? If my eyes are healthy, I can really focus like this. Yes, I can focus, okay? 
But if my eyes are healthy, I can focus on something. I can focus on the goal. I can focus on the mission. I can focus on the task at hand. Why is Jesus saying we can't serve God in money? Because it's like trying to run on two different tracks at the same time. I can't focus on the mission of serving God if I'm so focused on money. I can't pursue this goal if I'm bent toward this one. It's like trying to rip ourselves in two and running two different races at once. It's impossible. It's impossible. So Jesus is calling us here to be motivated by a single purpose. Now what I love here, how many of you guys ever read the NLT translation of the Bible? So I love what the NLT says. It just helps us get um, even deeper into this passage here. Uh, I'm going to read the NLT translation to you, and I, I want you to catch something very interesting here. In verse 23, it says this, But when your eye is bad, your whole body is filled with darkness. Now here's the interesting thing when it relates to money. If the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. This is why we must examine ourselves. Because if we think we have light, if we think that our eyes are healthy and that we're fixed on the goal, but that's actually darkness as it relates to the Bible when we truly examine ourselves and we put it up against the scriptures and we see, oh wow, I thought I was on the right track. I thought I was on the right path, but I'm actually pursuing this. If we think that we have light, but it's actually darkness, if we think that we're on the right path, but we're actually on the wrong one, if we've been deceived in that way, Jesus is using this as a picture to show just how much this has your heart. Because you think it's light. You think it's the right move. You think it's the right thing. Don't be deceived. Again, a perfect way that this manifests itself in, in um, my life. So uh, this like financial guru told me that I need to have three to six months of my salary saved up in a savings account just in case something happens and I like lose my job. I have, I have, I have emergency money that I can use, right? So... Um, Three to six months of, uh, worth of income, we'll just say it's like, that's like $15,000 just sitting in a savings account. Now, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying this guy is completely wrong. Actually, I don't know as it relates to the Bible. The Bible is not very clear here of how we're to save our money. And so I'm, I'm not sure if he's, if he, I'm honestly, I don't know. I don't know if he's right. I don't know if he's wrong. But this is just what he says. Okay? You tracking with me? Okay. Why? Why do I have to save up? I just gave you the answer. Now I'm going to ask you to give it back to me. Why must I save three to six months of my salary? In case something happens. Now what am I trying to avoid? What am I trying to avoid if I save up that much money? Something happening, which results in what to me? I'm looking for a specific word. It starts with an S. I think, did I hear it? Somebody, was that you? What would you say? You're close. It's negative. It's negative. It's not, it's not security. It's something negative. Something bad has happened to me. It starts suffering. Suffering. I'll give it to you. It's okay. Suffering. So I'm saving up three to six months of my income in his savings account, essentially, if we boil it down to its simplest form, to avoid suffering. Now let me ask you something. What is the most common promise of Jesus to his disciples? What is the thing that Jesus promises to his disciples the most? Do you know what it is? That they'll suffer. But we 
try to store up materials on this earth to avoid it. To take something that Jesus has promised us. Because suffering, our suffering, is useful in God's hands. That's what we don't understand. That's what we don't get. You see, one of the greatest ways that God molds us and shapes us into the image and likeness of Jesus is through our suffering. Through our hurt and through our pain. How? Let me ask you this. If you're following Jesus in here, when have you held on to God the most tight? When you've been hurt. When you've been in pain. Don't, don't miss this. God is doing something in suffering. And when we try to store up material goods to avoid it, we miss the glory of suffering. Yes, the glory of suffering. The goodness of suffering. God's purposes for suffering. And we miss it. Now let me ask you this. Why do we have a bunch of immature Christians in the church in America? This is, this is a fact. There's a lot of immature Christians in the church of America. And here's a theory. Because we all are spending our lives trying to avoid suffering. We are exhausting ourselves to avoid suffering. Every single time, every single time almost in the book of Revelation, in the first three chapters, Jesus writes says a message to seven different churches in the first century. And almost all of them have to do with a church that is in the midst of great suffering and persecution. And Jesus is encouraging them to run hard in the midst of that suffering. To not give up. To persevere. To run with endurance. To chase the gospel. Again, I don't know how much money I need to have in a savings account. I don't. I have no idea what the right number is. But I think if, we, if, we're, if we're trying to figure out what the right number is, I think we've missed the point of what Jesus is saying here. The point is, where's your security? Where's your hope? If my hope, if I lose my job tomorrow, if my hope is in my savings account, there's a problem. Where's my treasure? But if my hope is in the glory of the gospel and in God's provision and seeing God as my security, regardless of how much money I have in the savings account, that's what Jesus is getting at. And I, and I promise you this. Um, your savings will be um, probably a little less if that's your focus. I mean, it, it just will. Because you, 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 you would have eternity in mind and you would have the glory of suffering in mind and you would use that money for something else. Not all of it. You'd still have some there, right? I don't have health insurance. We have that money saved up so that if something happens to Leon, we can pay for it. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, it's, it's there for a reason. But it's definitely not three months of my salary. That's God's money. I don't need to store it up for my own purposes. I need to use it for his purposes, whatever those purposes are. Again, if the point is, well, how much do I need to have here? How much do I need to have in this bucket? That's not the point. It's where's your heart? Jesus is very simple here. Where's your heart? What's your treasure? And the problem is, is we see these things and we, we justify storing up for ourselves treasures on this earth by saying it's wise and it's wisdom and I'm being a good steward. But in the context of all of church history, being a good steward had nothing to do with saving a bunch of money for yourself and everything to do with making more room in your budget to give more away. That's what being a good steward in the context of the church the 2,000 years that the church has existed has always been. It's only been in the past 200 years that a good steward meant saving up a ton of money in an account. 
Again, this is very upside down from the way that we see the world. Very upside down. This is radically different than anything we've seen. You can't serve both God and money. It's impossible. And so I'm going to ask you something. No, actually, it's not a question. I'm going to tell you something. Make a choice. Make a choice. I love you so much that I want to show you this. You have a choice. Make it. Who are you going to serve? Where's your treasure going to be? You guys are in an amazing point of your life right now. Like you've, um, I hope that you have the opportunity when you're my age, which is like in like two minutes. But um, I hope you have the opportunity when you're my age to walk with somebody that's your age and tell them the, the glory of the opportunity that they have right now. If you're in here and you follow Jesus and you're in middle school or high school, like you truly are are sold out for the gospel and you're trying to figure out ways that you can love God and love people strategically in your school and you wake up like living, breathing, eating, and drinking the gospel, I have so much respect for you. I, I want you to hear that. I, I have a lot of respect for you. If you're trying to fake it, like I'm gonna put on my Christian mask when I come to hype and then I'm gonna go like get drunk on the weekends or if you're trying to fake it and um, do it in a different way, that's just the one way that comes to mind right now for me. But if, if you're trying to, you know, fake it in a different way, I grieve for you. I grieve for you. I, I, I cry over that person in here who is just a believer by title and not by their heart. Why do I grieve over you? Because you've missed this. You've missed the glory of eternity. You've missed the beauty of the promises of God in the gospel. And you've missed the love that God has for us in Christ. I grieve over that. You're the reason why I stand up here every week because I want you to know this love. I want you to know this grace. I want you to know this truth. I want you to know that you can't do it on your own. It's impossible. We are bent to choose the world. We are bent toward materialism. We are bent toward these things. If you don't believe that the human heart is bent toward these things, turn on your TV. Like We don't have to go very far, right? I don't have to press that very hard. We know that. We know that we are bent by love for things. Embrace Jesus. Be radically transformed by the gospel so that you can embrace him and not stuff. So that you can store up treasures in heaven and not store up things for this life. Who cares? Like, in all honesty, this life is a vapor. One moment it's here and it's gone. It's gone. So choose this day who you will serve. There's uh, that paper in front of you. Um, I had a feeling I was going to go long tonight, as you can probably tell. This is, this is, again, this is something that God is working in my own heart. I want you to take that home, and I want you to examine yourself. I do. I, I want you to examine yourself. And, and check this out. Here's the thing. Um, I'm available. Like, if, you know, some of you are on spring break, some of you aren't. But, like, I, I'm available. If you want to, like, talk about these questions tomorrow, I'll be in my office. Come by. I'll be here, right here. We Come by and talk. Let's talk about it. I'm just a phone call away. Van is a phone call away. Sarah, even though she's not here because Leon is being a butt, she is a phone call away. Wendy is a phone call away. Mr. Hantak's usually a classroom or two away, right? Yeah. Yes. Yes. That's awesome. 
So, but this is not something that you should try to do alone or do alone. And what I mean by that is not the, the piece of paper in front of you. I mean just following Jesus in general. That piece of paper is for you to silently at home by yourself pray. Ask God. There's, there's things to pray for at the bottom of that. Pray. Ask God to open up your heart and truly sit down and examine yourself and just write some stuff down. The text is on the back. Just pray. Examine yourself. See what God would have for you in his word and for you in his mission and examine yourself and choose who you will serve. Let's pray. God, I love, I love that you make everything valuable in this world look worthless. I love that you've changed um, the hearts of people in such a way that they long for you and not for stuff. God, I'm grateful for the opportunity that you've given each of us in the gospel to take the material goods that you've blessed us with and give them away. God, use them as tools to help people. I pray that my house can be used as a tool uh, for your ministry and your mission. I pray that my finances can be a tool for your ministry and your mission. I pray that my anything, clothes, whatever, God, that it, food, anything that you've given me, that it could be used for your mission. And I pray that um, just like Christ is calling us to, that all of us here would hold the material goods of this world with open hands and we would just say, God, it's yours. We don't need it because we want you. I pray that we would set down the darkness of materialism to take on the light of the gospel. God, that we would be so changed by your love that we would see the material goods of this world as useless unless they are used for the expanding of your kingdom. God, I pray for every heart in this room, God, that as we go home, we would take just a moment in the middle of spring break or the school week to pause reflect on you and examine our hearts to see where our treasure is. God, show us where our treasure is. And if our treasure is not where it's supposed to be, God, change us. Change us so that we would treasure you. Change us so that we would treasure Jesus because, God, you demand our affections. And we, we, we ask you to change our affections, to direct them toward you. And God, if, if we do treasure you, if we are following you, I pray that you would increase the passion and the urgency that we have in our own hearts to expand your kingdom in our lives, that we would seek out any opportunity that we have to share the gospel with a friend and to love someone, that we would use the things that you've given us to give away for the kingdom. God, thank you for this encouragement tonight and this challenge on my own heart. I pray that we would enjoy the rest of our week as one that is following you, loving you, loving people, and making disciples who make disciples. In Jesus' name, amen.